Hello, everyone. Welcome to From No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. Perhaps the greatest paradox is that the hardest things to explain are often the simplest things at face value. If you've been listening to this show and, importantly, have been enjoying it, you've probably come to accept this. Reality just isn't readily comprehensible. And not just the big, complex phenomenon, but also the bedrock, the cornerstones, and the universal truths. To someone who opens their mind and truly thinks deeply and critically, the existential ocean has no floor. Hmm. Today, we're attempting to glimpse the view from nowhere. <laughs> so I like this a lot. You uh, suggested this during the week that uh, we, should, we should look at the the concepts in our names. So this week right. we're going to look at nowhere and then our uh, next time. roots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember how the name generated? Yeah, it was a, uh, it's, it's a quote. Um, uh, shoot. I'm forgetting the, the well, guy's name. The philosopher is yeah. Thomas Nagel. Yeah. And, and he talks about the view from nowhere. Mm. Um, and, but we were knocking things around and then it just seemed like, like the right thing. And I've had people say, say to me when they find out we do a podcast, a couple of people this week is that they're going to start listening. But, well, that's an interesting name. Does that mean nothing happens? <laughs> no, something, well, you know, something happens. We're talking to each other. We explore an idea. Does that mean we arrive at an answer? Only tentative at best and often not. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. But nowhere as a concept is just an amazingly... It really is, because nowhere seems very intuitive, especially the way we use it in our colloquial language, mm -hmm. until we ask, hmm. what or where is nowhere? And then we step into your existential ocean, <laughs> and, and there is no bottom. Uh, I'm going to... So, let's explore this. Uh, so when you when you you think about nowhere, this is before we do the etymology on it. But, uh, it it can suggest an exclusivity to be uh, something that's found nowhere else. It, it it can be completely exclusive, meaning it just isn't there. Mm. Uh, it can indicate surprise, as when we say something comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, it can suggest a very frustrated inclusivity. Uh, something is nowhere to be found. I looked everywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, both are not accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but they seem to be, right? Um, it can connote uh, remoteness, uh, nondescriptness, uh, the pit of uninteresting, like being in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it, it also suggests fear because of an unknown origin. Hmm. Something comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and on and on and on. Then I, I think about all kinds of pop cultural references, and I'll, I'll mention some of them. But. Yeah, so that that's a great overview of what I was just mentioning, like the colloquial uh -huh. uses of, uh -huh. of nowhere. We use it so often in our language, um, but a common trope of our show is that what comes so easily to language does not spring so easily to logic and rationality yeah. once experienced a little bit closer. So, yeah, um, this idea of nowhere, um, are there, I, I think you just mentioned it, but maybe we should ask more explicitly, are there types of nowhere? There are, there are types of nowhere. And, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to use pop culture because of what you just said, our colloquial, it surrounds us. It, a nowhere is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking of, now th this, this dates me, I know, but one of my favorite films is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, with the original Star Trek people in it, right? And there's a scene where they've got a, they're in a space station, everybody's been killed, uh, the people who are on the space station are not their bodies aren't there. They think they may have beamed down into a little planetoid, but it's supposed to be um, 
that would be like beaming into a rock. And so why would anybody do that? And Kirk says, well, very well, let's go. And McCoy called Bone says, go, where are we going? Kirk says, where they went. <laughs> and he gets up on the transporter beam and uh, and McCoy says, but what if they went nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk says, this will be your big chance to get away from it all. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there's the, the idea of emptiness, total nothingness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like, um, I think of Guardians of the Galaxy. And <laughs> what's interesting is how the spelling changes the meaning of the word completely, almost to the opposite end of it, right? Yes. Nowhere connotes an absence of place mm -hmm. or, or be, I mean, whereas nowhere K N O W, mm -hmm. you know, W H E R E that's, you know, where, right. Mm -hmm. And yes. so, and that's, yes. that's sort of what we're getting at early in the show, right. Is how language, the concepts that language tries to encode, there's a strange thing that happens, right. Where if you use abstract, academic jargon, then people don't understand concepts. And the, the simpler the languages you use, the more there seems to be a general understanding um, until we start looking at, like I mentioned in, in the monologue, the bedrock or foundational concepts, the things that we think we know so well. Yeah. And then when we start to examine those, it's almost like, you know, when you walk towards a, a, a mirror where... <laughs> The closer you get to the mirror, the clearer it is. Then you get to a certain point and everything flips upside down, right? Yep. It completely doesn't make sense anymore, it disorients. right? Disorients. Nowhere is going to be one of those, I, I think. Uh, well, and you just, you, you, Guardians of the Galaxy, and that, and that in turn cites uh, Jack Kirby, who was one of the major found, you know, artists and conceptualists in comic books uh, from the 1940s until he was done and he had a very up and down relationship with Marvel and Stan Lee and everything. But, but he, and he, he developed so many of these ideas. And one of them was the celestials, these gigantic beings who are somewhere way past us and yet very interested in us. And, and the, and the empty skull of a, of a destroyed celestial is nowhere, which is mm -hmm. what you were talking about, which is the guardians of the galaxy. But so, this is a world inside a skull. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so the the meta ness and the psychological ness of this is just jolly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so types of nowhere. Um, what what do we have? Um, I think that the examples that you gave at the beginning when you were you demonstrating the colloquial aspects yeah. sort of highlighted. Highlighted a little bit, but if we could be a little bit more explicit for the okay, listeners, so maybe. Okay, so nowhere suggests no place. Hmm. Side note, we can get back to Thomas More and utopia. Utopia is a word that means no place. Hmm. Where and place are a little bit different, but where suggests a location of some kind. So nowhere is no place or a place we can't identify or a place that's just not worth seeing. <laughs> Three different meanings yeah. there. Uh, how can you be in the middle of nowhere? And wouldn't it be worse to be at the edge of <laughs> the <laughs> outer edge of nowhere? Uh, but then you're almost somewhere, right? And then you're almost somewhere <laughs> else. That's right. <laughs> um, and then the Beatles. He's a real nowhere man. So now we're moving it from a place more suggestively to the way one lives a life. Well, and that's interesting because I read an article on IFL Science yesterday that I should have sent to you. I don't know why I didn't, but it was talking about how your language informs, you know, your conceptual development and thinking and mm. therefore how you perceive time, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, a very important part scientifically of nowhere in terms of space is that space and time are considered one thing so nowhere um shares a lot of uh you know in in from certain contextual angles depending on which type of nowhere you're talking about can share some elements of timelessness in a way no when yes yeah exactly <laughs> and it's interesting because the word no when was tried out uh 
rather equally uh, etymologically back hundreds of years ago, but it never caught. Hmm. Uh, whereas nowhere did. Uh, and that's one of the things that the article mentioned was, um, you know, there, it was mentioning uh, the difference between how English speakers and Spanish speakers, as one of its vignettes, how they perceive time. And um, they said that English speakers will refer to time in length. So, you know, right now it's around Christmas time. So I'm going to have a break from work. Hmm. So I'll say I have a, a long weekend in terms of length. Whereas they said people who speak, um, you know, Spanish um, put it in terms of size. So it's a big break in, hmm. instead of a long break, right? Mm -hmm. It seems very small, but it's a, it's a, it's a large conceptual difference. And so know where and know when. <laughs> and this is a big stretch, but if we're talking about it from the point of view of physics, should sort of maybe be the same concept, but it appeals to people in a different way, probably because of their cultural and developmental background. I, I think so. I think you're spot on about that. The, 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 our language borders us. Our language provides boundaries. We talked about borders last week. Our language creates boundaries which we can exceed by expanding our language or expanding the different languages that we try to acquire or but still we construct ourselves with our language yeah people can say now that's ridiculous all they want to but all you have to do is say what if i took all of your words away and this is another um discussion that me and my friends were having it at, we call it family christmas none of us are related but we're all friends so we get together every year for christmas yeah for, <laughs> for family christmas um and we were talking we found out that one of my friends does not have an internal monologue and that was shocking to the rest of our friends and then um we were discussing it and then coincidentally a few days later in, in my news feed an article popped up about internal monologues hmm. in one of the psychology journals that i follow um and what the implications of that are, people who don't have internal monologues tend to have much less anxiety because there's, there's almost an inability to ruminate. You think in pictures. And so um, this, this idea of going over prior conversations or future conversations doesn't occur to some of these people, or at least not in the same way that it does to people who have a voice inside their head, right? Because we most of us do have the voice inside of our head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they said 30 to 50, 30 to 50% of people do not. Most have, of us do not have a voice inside. Yeah. I'll retract what I just said. If it's that 50%, 30 to 50 is what they say. And for me personally, I noticed that it's something that goes in and out, right? Um, I think that when I'm goal oriented, I have an internal monologue, but when I am in my default no mode network state, you know, the, the sort of resting state, um, daydream sort of thing, it's all images, you know, there's no words happening. Uh, that's fascinating because I would say almost the opposite for me. As it, yeah, isn't it? But this, this highlights how human development on a physiological level, much less a cultural level, informs our language and then our language shapes our lives as, as we're talking about, which mm may seem a little off topic, but it's really not because right now, think about the word nowhere, right? And what do you think when you hear it? Just yeah. We, uh, and we don't need to answer that yet because we're going to get into no. it in a little bit, but hopefully we've got the gears turning. So what have philosophers said about nowhere? Well, I, we're going to go back to Diogenes, the guy who barked at people and <laughs> in a barrel we talked about, but, but he, he described himself, uh, the Greek word that becomes our word cosmopolitan, uh, citizen of the world. What does that have to know nowhere? Well, it's, it's not too hard to get there because if you're a citizen of the world, that means you think in the, in the broadest terms, you think about all of humanity. And that idea uh, spins up into 1986 when Nagel writes his his book that idea uh, spins into uh, stoicism stoicism um there uh, once stoicism was established there was a a philosopher named hierocles hierocles 
conceptualized um, ethics in a way that that was using the idea of nowhere. Uh, concentric circles. Now, I think that you have encountered this in psychology with different terms, and you can and tell me tell me about this. But so that the innermost circle is yourself. The next circle is your immediates, spouse, family, friends, and and then it goes outward and outward and outward to the whole planet. And 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 when we start thinking of the whole planet, we think of it as nowhere that's not in, of interest, at, at, at a place that is not to be bothered with by us. And Hierocles was saying, what we have to do is try to pull those circles into tighter proximity to our first circle. Mm. And by doing that, by compressing the concentric rings, uh, we are making people someone and making them from somewhere and and trying to um, connect with that and and so i think that's an interesting philosophical uh side not a side trip but development in, in this whole idea yeah yeah and that definitely does mirror um not just psychology but educational psychology really and and how people um sources of learning right because when it, what it comes down to is you know, your intellect and your emotions and everything about your brain comes down to being a learning machine, right? Mm -hmm. And so where do people get sources of learning from? And, you know, Vygotsky and, and all these other, you know, uh, educational psychologists and philosophers who are talking about, well, a lot of it is informed by the people around you. Yeah. And those, then, you know, you have these spheres of relationships and yeah. things. So, yeah. And so, instead of the circle, the sphere, but, but it, it yeah. helps into that. And you were talking about that um, on another podcast very recently when you, uh, the idea of that uh, if you conceive of, of, well, I've worked hard all my life, I'm going to retire and don't have to do anything. And then that puts you at higher risk of more immediate death, all other things being equal if your health has been something because you just stop. Yeah. And, 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 so, but to be interested, to be learning, to be saying, wow, I don't know this and I don't know that. And I'm trying to, and to be engaged, then that, that's, a, that's that active uh, involvement with the spheres or the concentric circles. Then we get to the 1500s. We have Thomas More, who writes, uh, who <laughs> utopia is not the only thing that Thomas More was writing. Thomas More lost his life to one of the Henrys <laughs> because, Henry VIII, because, uh, because he countered his former friend, the king, and was challenging him, hmm. um, and and therefore needed to die. Uh, it's much more complicated than that, but that's the essence. And and but Thomas More wrote the first book called Utopia with that title, and Utopia means no place. In other words, a picture of a non-existent society. In other words, kind of science fiction. Hmm. <laughs> um, and but but not place or no place and nowhere slightly different but it takes us further toward that yeah i'm curious now because you said that twice what is yeah. the etymology of of where what what do you know yes yes uh, uh and and well i'm going to uh and of course i picked it up and stuck it somewhere in my notes but but essentially uh it hasn't changed all that much so uh <sighs> Where is associated with place, and um, no, you know the negatives, the negative prefix. Um, so where is Germanic, and it refers to uh, a position. It really was a pos the word position hmm. at first, and so what position are you in? And you see, I think that that does. It, it relays very different concepts, right? Mm -hmm. um, no place. I think that no place is more open to um, a physicalist interpretation, whereas nowhere has a very metaphysical concept. It does. It certainly does. Uh, thus, nowhere man. <laughs> You're nowhere man. Or, or, or you can take, which people have done the, the word and just place it slightly differently and you have now here hmm. 
<laughs> and there's been lots of uh, done with that with poetry and sociology and so on. And I think that that one integrates the time aspect of space mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. there, right? Because now here, now here implies that it, at some point there was, you know, that there's something outside of here, which is sort of, I feel like anything outside of the present moment is sort of nowhere or not here right <laughs> well, yeah. exactly we, we talked about being in the moment we mm -hmm. we we did a, a talk about that but but the heisenberg uncertainty principle applies you can you can locate a particle in space but not in time you can locate a particle in time but then not in space you're trying to but now here implies freezing yeah now here this, this as if we could catch it Try to catch a firefly, see what happens. Yeah. You know? uh, so, so even the idea of the present moment is is an illusion. Here it is. Nope. 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 What? What is? Are we talking about a, a quarter of a, a millisecond? Are we? Are we talking about the smallest increments? Are we talking about? Oh, generally, this is now. That means we've stopped time. <laughs> right. And so I think that um, the scientific um, measurements of time are sort of analogous to the linguistic um, limitations mm -hmm. of um, space. So with language, you have the same issues explaining nowhere as science and physics has explaining, you know, the present moment, now here, right? Yep, yep, yep. So is nowhere purely a human intellectual construct? Does nowhere exist? <laughs> uh, of, well, I would go back to my literary argument that we've we've hit upon a number of times. It exists because we have created it as a concept. the The trouble is that people have have sometimes a difficult time separating a, the concept, the existence of a concept, and then making it as if history actually went that way. Hmm. So people make up history all the time. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it didn't, you know, no, the election was lost. No, uh, no, dad, dad um, was born this date, not that date. Nope, you're wrong. It was at 2 a.m. It wasn't 12 a.m. You know, all, all of these factoids. Yeah, and there's, you and I have talked about this, I think, last week off the air. Um, cause, uh, the course that I just wrapped up was, um, you know, functional neuroscience mm -hmm. and talking about, um, various, uh, disorders and, and functions of memory and how, you know, what goes along with learning, right? If, if the brain's primary function is learning, um, then its primary method of doing so is memory, right? If you have no memory, it's very hard to learn. And so, but what they know from imaging studies is that when you learn something um, that and then you have it in your memory, well, it's no good to you unless you retrieve it to use it later. But when you retrieve it to use it, it is as if you were experiencing that memory as a real thing again for the first time, making that memory subject to change and manipulation, right? Hmm. And so in the healthy brain, um, our memories are subject to being changed. And so even if it were possible, right, for us to accurately, objectively chronicle something that happened, which it's not, we would store that memory. And then when we would recall that memory later, <clears throat> what we are experiencing in that moment is going to shade and color that memory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then every time after that, when we recall that memory, the memory continues to be shaded and colored. And so you can imagine if we're thinking about this like a painting, right? Let's say you paint a painting sure. and then you come, every, imagine every time you wanted to look at that painting again, you had to add something to it, right? You had to add a, a shade of color over it or add some lines here, or do this sort of thing. Well, over the course of a lifetime, that painting is no longer the same thing that it was when it happened. It, right? it might, it might even be a, a, a square or a rectangle that is nothing but on um, black or brown or mud. Yeah. And that's the other part of what we talked about is, and that's in the healthy brain, right? In the disordered brain in Korsakov syndrome, which is um, a form of dementia caused by alcoholism, 
or Alzheimer's or these sorts of things, um, you have situations where, um, you know, your, your memory stored in different parts of the brain. And then as neuronal death occurs in, in certain parts, the brain is only able to retrieve part of a memory. And so what it does is your brain is just a brilliant adaptive machine, right? It doesn't just give up or say that, you know, air 404 memory, not accessible, right? <laughs> no, it gives you part of it that you have, but then it fills in all the blanks from the, the brain tissue, the memory circuits that are no longer there. And so you start combining diverse memories or you have what they call spontaneous confabulation where you, just you, you just start making <laughs> things up there and they had there they had a classic example of a guy who um you know he his disease was so advanced that he he had nothing at all to of his former life but he sort of wandered off from his care facility and got into a cab and uh, the cab driver you know, he kept telling the cab driver to go to different places and then it wasn't the place that he wanted to go so he told him to go to a different place yeah, yeah. long story short after several hours of this cab driver driving around that the care facility got a hold of him and said oh thank goodness you found him bring him back and the cab driver said that was the most he is the most interesting person i have ever met he's like i don't know how some one person has done so many things in their lifetime right <laughs> because he didn't know this guy right so when he was telling him <laughs> stories of adventure or of of you know doing all of these different things he didn't know that they weren't true because the, the confabulations were so um, honest, yeah, right? Yeah. He wasn't making up stories um, rationally. It was something that was arising from he believes. deeper structures of the brain. Yes, he believed them. And so that highlights that belief um, does not constitute truth or rationality in an outside way. Right. It can be experiential on the inside uh, of a kind. But not on the outside. This is what Thomas Nagel was talking about. When in his his book, The View from Nowhere, essentially taking that was going off of what you 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 were talking about a moment ago, the idea of objectivity. Well, even though we know we can't achieve an ultimate objectivity, to to and, and take some kind of transcendental position in which you are taking the position of the other, walking in somebody else's shoes. In, in a simplistic term way to say it. And, and so you are, you travel. And, and, um, even if, even if you don't take in everything because you can't, if you take in some of what's happening in travel, it's disorienting you toward the idea that your way of doing things is the only way and your way of doing things is the right way. <clears throat> and so when you return from travel, well, whether it's domestic or, or international or, into space or whatever it happens to be you 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 have the possibility of rethinking your being and 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 so the objective is is not perfect but it it resets the subjective which is what you we generally see things through so if we make the attempt to see things objectively and we acknowledge at the same time we can't be perfectly objective, we are going to grow and change our own viewpoints. And and so he calls the objective the view from nowhere because uh, essentially you are not in your, you're trying to be out of your own self and not being connected to a particular viewpoint. Yeah, and this, um, this reminds me of the book that you and I both read um, by Stephen Hawking and Thomas Hertog, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, um, you know, Hawking spent his whole life thinking about the origins of the universe, and um, what he, what he, the conclusion he came to towards the end of his life, right, was that the main issue with all of the theories that they had that he had looked at was that humans were taking a god's eye view, which is the view from nowhere, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the mm -hmm. same thing mm -hmm. that that Nagel's saying. So, you know, I think that the idea of is nowhere a purely intellectual human construct well i think that it's contingent right because as we've talked about there's several types of nowhere so perhaps some of them aren't you know could exist in a metaphorical sense but if we're thinking about the metaphysical idea of nowhere some a, a place that does not exist a place or a place that does not exist within our 
immediate context or a place that does not exist uh, in the sense that we can't see it. We can only theorize about it. Yeah, so existence is a funny word as well, right? Because <laughs> so does nowhere, is nowhere, can nowhere exist? And, well, you know, if we're, if we're talk, getting into metaphysics and physics, right? Now I think we're talking about outside of the universe. And I think that we default to thinking that outside of the universe is nowhere. We don't have any um, reason to, to believe that. We don't have any reason to believe anything about anything outside of the universe. <laughs> but I think that we tend to conceptualize the outside of the universe as being nowhere. And yeah. that is what Nagel is talking about. Nowhere is no particular place. And the fact that a human being can conceptualize what's beyond the universe or when it's beyond the universe, um, that puts us outside of the subjective, ordinary experience. We live in our skin, but sometimes we can toss ourselves way outside of it uh, and, and frustrate ourselves <laughs> and, 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 and lure ourselves and, and entertain ourselves and, and, and be driven by a curiosity that is insatiable that in a standard, just subjective view might not be. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of the problem that a lot of lay people have with like the Big Bang Theory, right? Is because when you start at the beginning, you're like, okay, well, all of space and time is an infinite point. And then there was a sudden expansion. The first question everybody asks, right, is, well, what was it expanding into? You know, <laughs> well, is expanding into nowhere, right? But, <laughs> but nowhere is not another space. It's not another time. It's, it's, it's nowhere. It's right? nowhere. And that's, but that's a concept that sort of breaks the human brain. So, on one hand, we are able to conceptualize nowhere. But on another hand, when we attempt to apply that concept to our physical reality, we get the error 404 message. We're, 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 <laughs> cannot compute. <laughs> the page you're trying to locate cannot be found. And we start pounding on the screen. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking about this, you know, the, the science. I'm thinking about this this week, all these things. It's so much fun. But... Think of the, the God particle, the so-called God particle that, that frustrated and conceptually, uh, Stephen Hawking and, and that is, is spun up in, in Lucerne and the, the, the Large Hadron Collider. But then one comes and we, and the scientists are able to capture it. They, they refer to it with another word along with God because, <laughs> because they're frustrated, but they, because they don't know where it came from. There was no discernible origin point. Hmm. It came from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that some of that frustration, right? So you have the Higgs boson, which, you know, the Higgs gives mass to everything, right? And that mass is obviously an integral part of reality, right? You look around, you go, well, everything has it, right? It's sort of the same frustration that um, psychologists and philosophers have with consciousness, right? Because with, with human beings, we, explanations require points of origin. Yes. And so process. the Higgs boson, the Higgs field, has, there has to be somewhere it comes from. Consciousness has to arrive from somewhere in the brain. But if you look at it and you go, well, no, consciousness is just this widely distributed field that's throughout the brain, then it's consciousness is at the same time coming from nowhere and everywhere. And that raises very difficult philosophical questions, right? Like yeah. if I lesion a tiny part of my brain, am I still me do am i still fully conscious right as we talked about with well the, we're the, back to the ship of thesis yeah again it's, and the people with Korsakovs and alzheimer's and these sorts right. of things right at what point are you always the same person or are you not the same person spontaneous you know? confab confabulation is that the yeah, yeah okay so what i was thinking when you were describing that and and and, and indeed when you're talking we were talking off here last week is <laughs> it's a marvelous phrase or or 
term, but what that man in the taxi, he wasn't artificial intelligence. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was intelligence because artificial intelligence, as we know now, what's happening, as, as, will leap to confabulating all kinds of things. Will create articles that do not exist, and that's the difficult part, right? Is because we it's easy to look at somebody with Korsakovs or Alzheimer's and say they're spontaneously confabulating, but then when we go back to my example of the healthy brain, where every time you retrieve a memory, you're coloring it in some way. That's also that's confabulation. Slow, slow confabulation. Yes, right? it's also confabulation. A cruel. And as you've just pointed out, artificial intelligence, right? It's essentially a confabulating machine, a very accurate one. But all it's doing, right, is predicting what the next word should be. Right. It should right. be. Con it's concatenating. Computers concatenate. Mm -hmm. And artificial intelligence, as as it is developing, seems to be able to do mighty fine concatenation. Scans everything really fast. I want to know everything about Thomas Nagel. <laughs> Write an essay about Thomas Nagel. Well, when you get to that point, then it 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 may it puts together paragraphs. But then, if it needs something else, hmm, uh, even money, I guess now that, that it may say, oh well. And as this person said <laughs> in this article in this journal, none of which exist. <laughs> and so. Yeah, this seems like a bit of a tangent, but now we're going to draw the parallels back again to mm -hmm. physics and metaphysics, right? So if consciousness is something that requires, you know, a, a, a giant distributed network in the brain and therefore is both everything and nothing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we see the, the effects of that with confabulation on an extreme end, but also with just the mere act of recalling a memory on the physics side of it right we go okay well there's the big bang just this point infinite point of density at the beginning of time um and now we have a whole universe and so nowhere you know at one point appeared to be everything but this small point and now nowhere is flipped nothing yeah <laughs> nowhere nowhere is nothing, nothing. right yeah. because everything is now here there is there Wonderful. is no nowhere Wonderful. but there has always been nowhere right <laughs> so how do we parse apart these concepts can nowhere actually exist in a physical or metaphysical sort of way do you think do, when you say actually exist <laughs> <laughs> Is it a real, is it a place? Is that what you're saying? Is nowhere a place? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that that's sort of contradicted by the etymology of the word, isn't it? Well, I, not necessarily because if nowhere can exist personally, as in, I don't know where we are. And then we go back to the Jack Kirby thing. Ah, I know where hmm. we, we are. So nowhere can imply a disorientation because of lack of information. It can imply not, not, think about the, and metaphorically nowhere exists because it is a concept. <laughs> it exists also in a variety of stack of colloquial ways, as we've said before, I'm trying to pull that together too. But if we think uh, about this and we think in my life, I'm going nowhere, referencing the Beatles song and umpteen other things, what are we, what are we saying about what our culture expects of us we are supposed to go somewhere like says go go where you know <laughs> why do we think that motion is always the necessity and the, the thing to be valued and therefore connoted positively and lack of of movement toward a place is uh therefore negative or indicative of a failure I'm going nowhere. <laughs> we're all going nowhere because none of us knows where we're going because despite any theological, theocratic, theological position of faith, ultimately, no one knows. <laughs> yeah, and there's, a, there's another interesting parallel between psychology and physics here, right? We've talked in the past about the block universe, right? Mm -hmm. 
which is where essentially the past and the future have already happened. Already happened. Time is just our way, our brain's way of interpreting it. So if you look at it that way, there is no motion, right? All of our lives are there in crystal format. So motion is an illusion, right? Well, there are certain brain deficits that will manifest this, right? You don't know this, but there's two sections in your brain that detect movement. One detects organic movement and one detects inorganic movement, right? And so various deficiencies in either one cause different issues. If you have a deficiency in the organic part, right, you can end up with face blindness, which is where so my brain identifies your face using a bunch of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but a separate part of my brain encodes how to determine movement. So if I have damage to that part, right, if I look at your face head on, I know it's you. But if you turn your face just a little bit to this way, all of a sudden, I don't know who you are anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. so the, the motion is what makes gives in, you know, um, meaning to the information that's coming in in one in one frame of reference and then another frame of reference, the motion is irrelevant. And so when you think about that, you try to think about it objectively, right? You'd go, well, the motion for recognizing a face is irrelevant. A face is a face, right? Your face, your face doesn't change. It's just my ability to perceive the motion is what is is the problem. But well, yeah, so right now the audience is thinking the mirror hasn't just flipped upside down. The mirror is spinning in circles, right? Okay, so, so maybe it'll help us if we ask the question, what purpose does the concept of nowhere serve? We've we've identified that if nothing else, nowhere at least exists because we can conceptualize it. Yes. Why do we conceptualize it? What's well, the point? The, all right, you're implying a teleological, a word we've mm -hmm. used a number of times, uh, a built-in purpose. All right, so I'll run with you on this. <laughs> if it, let's let's say it has a purpose. Uh, to me, referencing what we were just talking about a moment ago, the purpose is to cause us to do a full engine stop, if we use a sailing metaphor, to consider where we are if we are lost. What do you do if you are lost? Let's suppose for a moment, that we don't have internet connectivity, uh, and and we are driving somewhere, and oh, let's make it, let's say it's getting to the edge of night. What do we do? Well, there are lots of different ways to to address that. Let's say you're you're sailing a ship and you have no equipment that's working. You come full stop. Do you? Uh, uh, hoping that nobody else is on the same track as you are. Do you do you uh, you use the stars if you've learned how to do that? And and so nowhere is a, a useful slow down mm. to rethink what you thought you knew about the world and where you are in it. I think that's a really good explanation, while also um really opening itself up to the profound difficulties with the conceptualization right because i think you're absolutely right when we think of about how we use nowhere we use nowhere to imply and i think this is getting at the heart of it right that there's a mystery or a lack of knowledge about mm -hmm. location mm -hmm. right and our primary use for it the 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 purpose that the conception serves is to help orientate so like you said usually it requires a slowing down or a stopping in order to gain a landmark of some kind to orientate to go somewhere so there's there's a, a mystery or a lack of knowledge there's an orientation and there's a destination that is involved with with how, why this concept even exists, why it serves a purpose. But at the same time, if we examine it further, right, let's, we'll stick with the, uh, the ocean metaphor, right? An existential ocean, one might say, <laughs> with, right? With no bottom. Yeah. So <laughs> we're on this ship and this ship loses its navigation and we, uh, you know, we go to use our, our sextant or whatever. And, and then that's broken. And then 
we go to look at the stars, but it's completely cloudy and we can't see any of them. And we try to find the wind and we can't find any wind. If you remove every landmark, right, there's nothing but you and the water. There's no way of telling where you are. Then is there a, can that place, right, exist? Is this, is, does, is the only purpose of nowhere to help us define a somewhere, to define a somewhere and a motion towards that somewhere? Or can nowhere exist on its own? I think, well, I think nowhere can exist on its own. But uh, I, I think that, and glib, uh, probably glibly, but I, uh, I think of it, I think because I want to. So many different things right? But I think it's useful for that contextual reset. But it's it's also useful to say, well, there may be a somewhere that the particle comes from. There may be a somewhere or someone that the thing has disappeared into <laughs> that I'm looking for, the keys to the car or whatever. But but it's also it's it's a it's a spiritual can be a spiritual state. It can be a, a, an intellectual state in which, if you feel you're nowhere, you've lost all of your bearings, and to lose all of your bearings is to say, well, uh, then I have to make a choice. I have to find a way, or I just stay still until the the clouds go by and the stars come out. I just float for a little bit. And that's almost goes into the Zen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we are getting there. We're getting into the religious or the philosophical or the, uh, because when we talk about true nowhere, absolute nowhere, right? We're talking about an uncaused cause kind of, right? <laughs> because when we think about, okay, the, the big bang, that, that singularity being the universe, well, that, that singularity is still a, a somewhere, right? But anything outside of that or anything before that is a nowhere. And that's what gives people fits, right? Is this idea that in the chain of causality, you can go back to a point where there's an unmoved movement. And if there's right? an unmoved movement, uh, that implies that it was always there. But always means... Nothing ever created it. it was just there. That's counter to everything that we know. right. And I think that, <laughs> I think that that's the big the the core issue of this, right? Is that our main usages of nowhere are really on a spectrum of nowhere, right? Because what they imply with our ocean metaphor, right, is that mm -hmm. the clouds will clear and the stars will come out, or you'll right. fix your sextant, right, or you, the wind will kick up or something, but. True nowhere, if we go to zero or a hundred, I guess, on the nowhere scale, what that implies is that there are no stars. There are, there is no sex. There is nothing, right? And I think that absolute nowhere, um, is a frightening concept. And it strips that utility of shades of nowhere away from the core mm -hmm. concept. And I think that that's where the opening for, um, Zen or religious concepts come in to try to fill that gap that says, um, you know, essentially, if the if you're never going to have if you get to a point where there's no navigation at all, there is no somewhere, there is no movement towards somewhere, there's no orienting tatings towards somewhere. All there is 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 nowhere. Um, then that emptiness creates uh, an anxiety in the human yes. mind that has to be filled. Well, this this is, I think, really partly what what um, Sartre and the existentialists were talking about uh, in a fresh in a fresh way. But I also have to because I know we're getting toward time. But I, the, Nagel was using the word nowhere. Uh, at least sometimes, in part, as a substitute term to freshen up the idea of universality. Mm. So everywhere, mm. uh, in 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 the sense that when you step out into the objective, and and you are in no particular place, that means that there are some things that are are true 
no matter where you are. Or then we get into the ethics, some things we believe that must be true for all human beings, mm. uh, no matter. And if a culture is not letting all the, the human beings have all the, those universal things, then we start saying, well, the culture's got to change. And we, and that, that implies all sorts of sociopolitical complexities we won't go into today. But nowhere can mean a space above the, 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 the petty association with some specific place that somehow gives viability to the thoughts that 10 miles over here don't hold any purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we see it's it's kind of like Roger Penrose's cyclical universe, mm -hmm. right? Where mm -hmm. if you have, if you are in true nowhere, then you are everywhere, right? Because there's a uniformity, right? Yeah. And I think that that is what, that's what Zen is talking about. That's sort of, and that crosses philosophical concepts into, into the other parts, right? Where you, you go, <laughs> yes, if you, if you get to a point where you have no orientating landmarks, then place ceases to have any kind of real purpose, you know? And so nowhere becomes everywhere <laughs> counterintuitively, but it becomes cosmopolitan. Yeah. Universal yeah. sense. <laughs> so yeah, this has been a great episode and it, it really gets me excited for next time when we'll talk about no thing. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, keep on doing.